What a total hot mess Afghanistan is. For centuries, it has been constant turmoil in that area of the world. The Arab nations are always at odds with each other. They have warring tribes within themselves. Their their own religion has all of these warring tribes that follow the same ideology, sort of, but at the same time can't seem to get along. And they definitely are not getting along with the rest of the world. The United States, we have always had the ability to go in and try to put other nations in time out. Try to fix their problems for them. Try to act like a babysitter or a nanny of sorts. And, and shake things up a bit and try to make them play nice. It doesn't always work out to our advantage. Vietnam being a primary example was one of the most wasteful wars that we as a nation have ever put ourselves into. The world wars were necessary because that directly affected the peace and sanctity of this nation as well as so many others. But Vietnam, no. That was just a great way for the elite to help spread opium better in our own nation. And to bring more of a drug trade in. Because they were sending... They were sending the lowest of the low first. They were drafting downtrodden people. Americans. Young boys that were poor and deemed insignificant. That way they could smuggle drugs back in their coffins. Fact of the matter. A lot of really good upstanding people died in Vietnam on our side war brings the worst out in all of us and what has been going on the last 20 years in Afghanistan is nothing short of miserable nothing short of depressing and everyone wants to blame either Biden now for it or blame Trump for it or blame Obama But when we actually peel the layers back, you know damn well that it was the Bush administration that got us in this mess. Sent us off to war first in Iraq. Operations took place first in Afghanistan, then were caught prematurely, then operations moved to Iraq. And we got the people of Iraq to turn the tables on their own leader, Saddam Hussein. Who, honestly, was the thorn in the side of America for many, many years. Much like Muammar Gaddafi in Libya was during the Reagan administration. But everyone wants to blame Biden for this. And the damnedest thing is, this started with the Bush-Cheney administration for going in after weapons of mass destruction that did not exist. On the pretense of that, the, the war was started as a way to kick the shit out of people who were involved in the 9-11 attacks on our own soil. But the whole thing on their side was bankrolled by Saudi Arabia. 
because the men that were involved in hijacking the planes and crashing them were Saudi Arabian nationals. And they planned themselves in U.S. suburbs, gained the trust of people, played... Uh, they, they did the whole carpooling thing with families that were not of Arabic descent and went to cookouts and played on soccer teams and baseball, Little League, name it. They wormed their way in and gained our trust. And this was all bankrolled by places like Pakistan and Saudi Arabia. They funded these acts of terror, provided the manpower for it, provided the weapons, provided the components needed for dirty bombs, name it. And they are still one of our biggest allies. And we go after Iraq and Afghanistan instead of Saudi Arabia. When it was brought to light, we just kind of shrugged our shoulders and said, oh, well, well. We got Saddam Hussein out of power. That's all we needed to do. Or, well, you know, Osama bin Laden, yeah, he was directly involved in that. But he also was funded by Saudi Arabian money. Saudi Arabia is not our friend. Financially, money-wise, yeah. We're tied to them, just like how the NSA and the CIA have funded some of the worst monsters in history. And look at... Cuban drug lords and Colombian warlords, all funded by CIA money, American money, government, American government money, because they were bad, yeah, but they found people that were worse than them and turned them over to our government, to our military, and were brought to justice. But they still continued to be allowed to do their dirty deeds because they folded just a little bit enough to let us in to get what was deemed as the worst of them all. And the the evacuation strategy we did in Afghanistan was horrid. There were Afghani people strapping themselves and grabbing onto our planes, to the planes that were leaving with our military personnel, our civilians, our humanitarian folks, and some Afghanis that were trying to flee from the Taliban who had taken control of the damn country again. And they were attaching themselves to our planes as they lifted up in the air. They were falling to their death. And we left all of these Apache helicopters behind. We left jets and tanks and Humvees behind. And God knows how many tons of weapons weapons caches and essentially arming the enemy much like how during the Russian-Afghan war of the 1980s we provided the Afghan people at that time with a mass amount, a stockpile of weapons and money and training and then just like every war where we go in and occupy a nation or try to get one nation to topple another nation whether it be over oil or whether it be over opium, whether it be over some sort of valuable trinket that we want to mine or steal or use for ourselves, we then pull out like a rapist in the night 
and leave the mess behind for them to clean up, which leaves them to resent us. We armed and trained and prepared the Afghan people to fight against the Taliban. As soon as we move the timetable up to evacuate Afghanistan and leave it, they put down their guns and said, okay, we surrender. They far outnumbered the Taliban army, Al-Qaeda. They far outnumbered them. But we could not give them the will to fight. We gave them the way to do it, taught them how to do it, and gave them the weapons to do it. But we lacked the ability to give them the spirit to fight for their nation. And that's sad. And that's not our fault, but that's just sad. It's sad that it's gone on this long. We've lost thousands and thousands of men and women in this war that will go down in history as Vietnam 2.0. And we left all of this spectacular weaponry behind that they will then use against us. So what's it going to be now? You know this is going to put a stain on Biden's legacy, unfortunately, because the timetable was moved up by Trump. But it was poorly executed under Biden's administration. Poorly executed. That I'm not happy with. But we never should have been there this long anyway. We should have left a long time ago. Because for thousands of years, these people have been at war with each other, with themselves. And there's no amount of time that we can put out there that will change their fighting spirit against themselves. Within 20 years, we couldn't give them the will to fight against their enemy against a warring tribe such as Al-Qaeda, Taliban, ISIS. Because in all honesty, they pushed out, threw their weapons down, and bent over and took it like a prison bitch. I hate to say it like that. Welcome to Paranormally Speaking. I'm Neil Parks, your host. Please hold for an important message from our sponsor. History as old as the United States itself, there is no doubt that there are plenty of ghost stories from the U.S. military's almost 246 active years to keep you up at night. From watery graves to haunted houses, sites of battles and ghoulish residences of military leaders long gone are ripe for spiritual and sinister happenings. I'm going to go over six ghost stories that will chill you to the bone. Uh, The first one is the USS Hornet's ghostly inhabitants. The USS Hornet and her crew served in World War II and the Vietnam War, achieving numerous awards for service and operations. She also was the prime recovery ship for the Apollo 11 and 12 missions. During her active years, about 300 crew members died from accidents and suicides. Visitors to the ship's permanent location in San Francisco report hearing voices, and seeing apparitions of soldiers. Electronic equipment is also known to go haywire on board. Now, the host of Ghost Tours, the USS Hornet, holds the titles of the most haunted ship in America. The second one is the watery grave of the USS Arizona. Next on the list 
is another haunted World War II-era Navy ship, the USS Arizona. When the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, the Arizona became a mass tomb for the 1,102 that perished with her. She serves as an underwater graveyard and memorial to those who died during the tragic event. However, many believe that the dead did not go in peace and still haunt the area. Today, officers blame a ghost called Charlie for many of the eerie happenings near the USS Arizona. This famous apparition is reportedly harmless, only turning on water faucets and causing heavy doors to swing open and closed. Another ghost, however, inspires more fear. One of the sailors who abandoned his post during the bombings allegedly haunts the deck of the ship at low tide, inspiring fear and sadness in visitors to this memorial. The third one is Fort Leavenworth. U.S. Army Garrison Fort Leavenworth is widely considered one of the most haunted posts in America, though it's still actively used today. Residents and visitors claim that it is host to a myriad of ghosts that wander in buildings, the grounds, and one more famous haunt is that of General George Armstrong, who was said to roam the general's residence. Now, of course, General George Armstrong Custer is the one who's said to roam the general's residence while also haunting another site on this list. Though he did not die there, his spirit is said to remain after he was found guilty of mistreating his troops and deserting his command. But some buildings are more haunted than the others. The Rookery at 14 Summer Place is considered both the oldest and most haunted. The U.S. Army reports numerous incidents that have happened to Rookery, including missing items, unexplained noises, spectral visitors, and more. One of the ghosts is said to be a woman with long hair who attacks residents by clawing at them with her fingernails. Another haunted site is the St. Ignatius Chapel, which was rebuilt multiple times due to fires. A house now stands at the first location of the chapel, but residents have claimed to see the ghost of a young priest who died in the fire. As for the re rebuilt chapel, it inexplicably burned to the ground again in 2000. The fourth one is the never-ending Battle of Little Bighorn. Though the Battle of Little Bighorn happened in 1873, present-day visitors to the battlefield claim they can still hear and see the spirits of U.S. Army soldiers and Native American warriors fighting. Now a cemetery and national monument, it is no surprise that the site of uh, such death and violence is haunted by those that passed there, including U.S. Army General George Armstrong Custer. This is the other spot on this list that I am providing you with that he is known to haunt. Stonehouse, the late 19th century cemetery, caretaker's house, is located there. It is home to many apparitions, including mutilated soldiers and headless cavalrymen. The Crow tribe called those that lived in this house during the 1800s ghost herders. They saw the flag the caretakers raised and lowered a signal for spirits to come out at dusk then return to their graves at dawn. The fifth one is the Jefferson Barracks. Missouri's Jefferson Barracks are now home to 
Army and Air National Guard, bought a spooky sentry with a bullet hole through his head, allegedly still confronts soldiers in the barracks headquarters. Legend has it, he still thinks he is on duty during a munitions raid and believes the living soldiers are his enemies. A soldier was once so scared by the bloody sentry that he left his post and the army altogether, according to one story. Another older story tells of a Halloween party at the Veterans Hospital, Veterans Hospital, in part of the barracks where a Civil War era ghost made an appearance. A man in a strikingly realistic Civil War officer's uniform made an appearance before the party's host. When the host asked him how he liked the party, the man was rude and then disappeared. Later, when the host asked about the guest, no one knew him or anyone who wore that costume to the event. Number six, Monster in the Mountains. Though this might not be a story based in the United States, this chilling tale deserves an honorable mention for being truly terrifying. And thank you, Marcus, for submitting this story. During World War II, a remote village in Switzerland became the first site of strange happenings when a British company of soldiers stayed there. Wood tarps and valuables began disappearing which were dismissed until a child went missing. When more children, as well as a private from a British company, disappeared, rumors of a monster spread. One night, soldiers saw a mysterious figure and chased after it, thinking it was the being that preyed on the village. Thought they never caught the figure, the soldiers discovered a cave. Shots were fired from inside the cave, and the soldiers returned fire. Upon pressing further into the cave, soldiers found the body of the British private who had been shot through the heart. He was surrendering by the half-eaten bodies of the children that went missing. I love when people send me these stories. Thank you so much for listening to them. Please hold for an important message from our sponsor. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Is America the greatest nation in the world? At one time, we were. We led the drive. We paved the way for technology, invention, for movement, for freedom, for human decency. We were the shining beacon on the hillside. I mean, America isn't as powerful as it thinks it is. Unfortunately, the era of unilateralism is over and Washington seems to be the last one to realize this. Just how powerful is the United States? Is it still the unipolar power able to impose its will on adversaries, allies, and neutrals and force them, however, reluctantly to go along with policies they think are foolish, dangerous, or simply contrary to their interests? We used to destabilize bullies and topple them and destroy tyrants and monsters, and now we elect them into office. Now we compromise with chaos as to 
continue to live with the hope and the mirage of freedom. The idea of freedom is what keeps us going. It's become an illusion of freedom. I mean, just how powerful is the United States? Is it still the unipolar power able to impose its will on adversaries, allies, and neutrals and force them, however reluctantly, to go along with policies they think are foolish, dangerous, or simply contrary to their interests? Or are there clear and significant limits to the U.S. power, suggesting that it should be more selective and strategic in setting goals and pursuing them? The Trump administration embraced the first position, especially since John Bolton at that time was the White House National Security Advisor and Mike Pompeo took over as Secretary of State. Whatever President Donald Trump's initial instincts may have been at that time, their arrival marked a return to the unilateralist, take-no-prisoners approach to foreign policy that characterized George W. Bush's first term as president when Vice President Dick Cheney and the neoconservatives held sway. A key feature of that earlier period was the assumption that the United States was so powerful that it could go in alone on many issues and that other states could be cowed into submission by demonstrations of U.S. power and resolve. As senior advisor to Bush reportedly, Karl Rove told the journalist Ron Suskind, we are an empire now, and when we act, we create our own reality. Compromises and coalition building were for wimps and appeasers. As Cheney himself reportedly said in 2003, we don't negotiate with evil, we defeat it. The Bush-Cheney approach produced a string of failures, but the same unilateral arrogance lived on in the Trump administration. It is evident during Trump's decision to threaten, or in some cases to actually begin trade wars, not just with China, but with many of America's economic partners. It was part and parcel of the impulsive decisions to abandon the Trans-Pacific Partnership and leave the Paris Climate Accord. It was the basis of the administration's take-it-or-leave-it approach to diplomacy with North Korea and Iran, wherein Washington announces unrealistic demands and then ratchets up sanctions in the hopes that the targets will will capitate and give the United States everything it wants. Even through that approach to both countries, it repeatedly failed in the past, and it failed under Trump. It is even more obvious in those decisions to impose secondary sanctions on states that are still buying Iranian oil, a move that threatens to drive up oil prices and damage U.S. relations with China, India, Turkey, Japan, South Korea, and so many others. It is almost certainly true of the so-called peace plan that Neopodist-in-Chief Jared Kushner, at that time Trump's son-in-law and senior advisor, keeps promising, or at that time, to reveal a proposal likely to make Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Republican donor Sheldon Adelson, and other fans of that concept of greater Israel happy. But... 
won't advance the cause of peace in the slightest. They did nothing to help with the Gaza Strip. A similar faith in America's vast ability to control outcomes can also, well, it was also seen in the premature recognition of Juan Giado as interim president of Venezuela and the strident U.S. demands that Maduro must go. However desirable that outcome would be, it would be nice if they had some idea of how to bring it about. The underlying assumption behind all of those policies is that the U.S. pressure you, know what Pompeo likes to call swagger, will eventually force acknowledged adversaries to do whatever it is the United States demands of them, and that other states won't find ways to evade, obstruct, divert, dilute, hedge, hinder, or otherwise negate what Washington was trying to do. It assumed we are still dwelling in the unipolar moment and that all that matters is the will to use the power at America's disposal. Perhaps most important, that approach denies that there are any real trade-offs between any of these objectives. If the United States really is all-powerful, then sanctioning China over oil purchases from Iran wouldn't have any impact on the trade talks that were underway with Beijing and Turkey. Turkey wouldn't respond to the same pressure by moving closer to Russia. It further assumed that America's NATO allies were so desperate to keep the U.S. military in Europe that they would accept repeated humiliations and follow the U.S.-led against China despite the growing evidence that it was not the case. It saw no downside to growing, to going in all with Egypt, Israel, Saudi Arabia, and the Gulf. It seemed little risk to relations with Iran and others if it were to escalate to war. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Let's begin in the 2000s and the Afghan war. Troops stationed at a base in Mansoul reported an encounter with a creature they claimed was a demon. The report says these troops jumped into action after receiving the call that the base was under imminent attack. They did as trained, grabbed their kit and weapons and reported to their stations ready to defend themselves and the base. They watched an attack unfold as men Enemy combatants began scaling the perimeter wall. The troops began to shoot. In the melee, many of the attackers were hit, but one of these was particularly strange. As the bullet tore into the attacker, a plume of black smoke was seen to rise out of the body. At the time, the troops thought it could be a suicide vest that was hot and damaged or failed to detonate. But this is when things took a turn for the strange. The smoke began to form into a shape. This shape resembled a man, 
And to add to the weirdness, a pair of red glowing eyes appeared along with a mouth. The apparition smiled at the troops, turned and ran only to fade away to nothing after a few steps. Could this have been a ghost or demon? Or how about a jinn? A jinn is a creature commonly found in Middle, Middle Eastern mythology. The soldiers had no clue and were obviously shaken by the encounter and did not talk about the incident for many years. But jinn ghosts or specters are not the only thing to have appeared to troops battling in the Middle East. And now, a word from our sponsor. Ghosts, aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, parallel universes, angels and demons, time travel, cryptozoology, and so much more within the realm of the unexplained, the strange, and the out of this world. I'm your host, Neil Parks, award-winning author, screenwriter, researcher, and paranormal professional. Join me every week as I tackle hot-button topics within the paranormal realm. I'll share personal accounts, my research, and secondhand evidence. I will read excerpts and stories from my books and discuss my upcoming projects in the literary world. Documentaries, both on TV and the big screen, plus my independent film projects. Paranormally Speaking is both thought-provoking and entertaining. New episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in to Paranormally Speaking and prepare to be enlightened. According to a magazine operated by Russia's Defense Ministry, Moscow trains paranormal soldiers. The February 2021 edition of Armeski Spornikdiv Army Collection, the Russian Defense Ministry's official magazine, features a strange article titled Super Soldier for the Wars of the Future that describes the military's work in Russia with combat psychics. The magazine RBC noticed the text which says the Russian military supposedly uses paranormal tactics to help soldiers learn foreign languages, treat wound, tra- wounded troops in battle, detect ambushes, hideouts, and weapons, uh, crash computer programs, burn crystals, eavesdrop on conversations, and disrupt telecommunications, including television and radio waves. Russia also apparently has specialists who use telepathy to question prisoners and give orders to dolphins. Telepathic nonverbal interrogation, the article explains, can determine which enemy soldiers are receptive to recruitment and reveal their individual strengths and weaknesses. The military are supposedly offering training in psychic countermeasures, teaching special forces soldiers to hold up during enemy interrogation and top national and industrial and banking officials to guard their secrets against enemy telepaths. According to the Russian magazine, Russia's armed forces once deployed paranormal assets in Chechnya. Does this stuff work? It's been said several successful experiments have come to light. Psychics have allegedly managed to read a document locked in a safe, written in a language they don't speak, and identify terrorists and terrorist candidates. The head of the analytics department at this magazine told RBC that paranormal troops deserve a place in Russia's military, explaining that Soviet scientists worked to develop the methods, especially between the 1960s and 1980s. 
The heads of Anti-Pseudoscience Commission at Russian Academy of Sciences says military parapsychology is bunk. Chief editor of this article hasn't exactly embraced the article's findings, telling RBC that his authors are responsible for the credibility of their own texts. The magazine, he says, simply publishes articles containing research, information, and discussion about military topics. The article's author is a reserve army colonel born in 1951 named Nikolai Poroskov, who's worked with at least two other military publications. He fought in Chechnya and Sierra Leone, receiving the order for merit to the fatherland for his service. The Russian authorities have a history of flirting with paranormal pseudoscience, in December of 2006, retired KGB general Boris Rotnikov claimed in an interview that he was involved with a top-secret occult project that succeeded in reading U.S. State Secretary Madeleine Albright's mind, attributing to her a pathological hatred of Slavics and the belief that America should seize Russian natural resources. Russian Secretary Council Secretary Nikolai Partnichev later internalized this information claiming in June 2015 that Albright actually said these things aloud. In 2009, State Duma Speaker Boris Gryskov supported lobbying by a pseudoscientist named Viktor Pertkev, who unsuccessfully lobbied the Russian government to spend trillions of rubles to buy and install his phony water filtration devices in schools and other public facilities. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. The time that U.S. troops believed that they saw Bigfoot in the jungles of Vietnam, in the Kantum province of Vietnam, near the borders with Laos and Cambodia, there were many reports from the U.S. troops on patrols of a strange, not quite human, but not quite ape creature, the locals called Nagao Rung, or the people of the forest. In other words, we know him as Bigfoot. Gary Linderer was on a six-man patrol with the 101st Airborne Long Range Reconnaissance Patrols. While struggling through the underbrush, he ran into a deep, set of eyes on a prominent brow, five feet tall, with long muscular arms. The creature walked upright and was then much taller than five feet. He had broad shoulders and a heavy torso. His battle buddies told him he just saw a rock ape, but Lindwer had seen rock apes before. This was no rock ape. Once it stood completely tall, it was about in excess of seven feet. Like the Yeti and the Himalayas and the Sasquatch sightings all over North America, the Nagual Rung is an often told tale in this area. But despite endless sightings and folklore attached to the semi-mythical creature, no concrete evidence exists. Linderer wasn't the only witness either. Army Sergeant Thomas Jenkins reported his platoon was attacked by these apes throwing stones at them. Toward the end of the war, Viet Cong and NVA soldiers reported so many sightings of the reddish-brown-haired covered Nagao Rong 
the North Vietnamese Communist Party ordered scientists to investigate the sightings. Dr. Vo Quy, a respected doctor and environmental researcher from Hanoi, discovered the Nagao Rong footprint on the forest floor and made a cast of it. The cast was wider than a human foot and too big for an ape and much too long for a human. In 1982, another Vietnamese scientist, Tran Hong, Viet discovered more footprints, which led zoologist John McKinnon to investigate the region. McKinnon called the area a tiny, pristine corner of the world unknown to modern science. In 1969, McKinnon discovered man-like footprints in Borino's jungles, with the locals called Batutut, while much of the evidence surrounding the existence of these apes is only through theory alone. McKinnon, known for his discoveries of new mammal species in Vietnam, believes that there is a possibility the existence of a previously unknown ape species is very much real. The account of Nagai Rong meeting American GIs in Vietnam was first published in Craig P.J. Jorningson's Very Crazy GI But Strange True Stories of the Vietnam War. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available, and last spring my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. Well, that's all the time I have for this week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Paranormally Speaking. I just picked up my son from a soccer game that he was playing in partly tonight. And there was a bit of thunder. And the refs got a little spooked and decided to deliberately hold the game over as a way to say their team won. Because those refs were from the opposing team. And that's how that school plays. But no matter what, my kid still won, as did his team. Because it took an act of God and them playing that card to say, hey, we won. But they did not. Seems to be the way life goes. But join me next week for an all-new episode of Paranormally Speaking. This is Neil Parks and... Lucas Parks. Signing off. Have a great weekend. And hugs, not drugs. Thank you.